0: Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, Jeff Clyda joins us from Bay City, Michigan, where he serves as Vice President at EPV Screens, the division of elite screens dedicated to the custom install market. From front projection and acoustically transparent to ambient light rejecting and polarized 3D materials, EPV provides electric and fixed frame projection screens that fit just about any viewing experience. At Cedia Expo this past September, the company featured the Sonic AT8 ISF Efinity, their newest fixed frame solution that uses a multi-layer tightly knitted fabric with bonded black backing and the upgraded Darkstar Max USTFR, which is a motorized floor rising projection screen with ceiling ambient light rejecting technology. Today we'll dig into projection screen uh, trends and developments, learn more about EPV's evolution as a brand, and find out about our guest and his career path to where he is today. Jeff Kleider, welcome to the podcast. How are things for you um, on this first day of November up in Michigan?
1: Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Very cold. We had a great um, summer uh, and a great uh, fall, but yeah, it just recently got very cold. In fact, we had our first snow yesterday and it's going to warm up a little bit. So nothing too tragic, but you always hate to see that first snow in October. You
0: do. Yes. And we had the same down here in uh, central Indiana where trick-or-treaters were uh, unfortunately... Tricked <laughs> by yeah. by the flurries of snow as they uh, went out getting treats as it got dark last night. Yeah, it was not fun.
1: <laughs> it was definitely definitely a chilly one last night. Yes. Yeah,
0: and and so as we were getting warmed up here before we recorded, uh, I asked you where in Michigan you were, and you said Bay City, which sounded very familiar. And then you told me the the three was it the three things or the fourth thing? Yes, the three things that yes, they basically has. For. Yeah, Bay City is the trivia
1: answer to three particular rock and roll questions. And the first, in no particular order. The first one is where was Madonna born? The second one is where did the Bay City Rollers take their name? Uh, And although they were Scottish in origin, they literally threw a dart at a map and it hit Bay City, Michigan. And then finally, where did Question Mark and Mysterians record their hit 96 tiers? Which many people consider to be the first punk rock record. So, yeah, that's that's the three the three big ones.
0: That's that's amazing info for for the, so many music lovers that are in the audience and uh, and I would say I had no idea about Madonna. Uh, first of all, I, I always associated her um, with more of a Detroit upbringing, um, and that may be incorrect, but I knew she was a Michigan kid. Um, and the base City rule is I had no idea we're Scottish in origin. I don't know how I missed that.
1: <laughs> yeah, they were And Madonna did grow up in Detroit. I think, in fact, I think she graduated from Pontiac high, okay. just North of, of there. And there is a mural downtown, uh, uh, dedicated. And, and I think too, there was a, there's an old hospital. It's no longer a hospital. But it's in fact. It's where I was born too, uh, called mercy hospital. And it's this old red brick hospital, um, and, uh, that's where, that's where she was born. And right outside on that street, it does say Bay city, Michigan, hometown of Madonna.
0: There you go. Okay. You
1: know, for, for what, for what that's worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: You guys are just, you guys are alike in so many ways. It sounds like, uh, you know, Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, so, um, one of the other fascinating things that I noted in your bio was, uh, you're not only, a uh, bachelor of science in English uh graduate from Central Michigan, which that isn't so noteworthy. Although I don't really associate Bachelor of Science with English typically, but um, it, where I would school, I think it'd be a Bachelor of Arts. But it'd be a
1: yeah. yes, and normally it is. Yes, well, it, yeah.
0: but the the one that really stood out was your MFA in English from Michigan State, and uh, so it's not typically uh, the career path of someone with an MFA in English to end up in the. CI channel or the electronics sure. business. So sure. uh, it looks like you you may have dabbled in some retail in your your youth that got yes. you into this business.
1: Yes, in fact, the way it all worked was um right out of graduate school, uh moved to Chicago and had a teaching gig at Truman College in in Chicago. One of the I believe it was the 7 at the time, 7 uh, city colleges in Chicago yeah. and had every intention of staying there until a full-time tenure track position was offered and so forth. But what happened is frankly, I needed a day job, you know, cause I was teaching night classes and a couple that were early in the morning. And uh, I thought, well, what do I know? And I, I knew a little bit about stereos. My friends were always asking me to hook up their stereos and their speakers and whatnot. So I got a job at Mills Audio Video in and, and downtown Chicago and, and learned the trade there. In fact, uh, I've always meant to do a shout out to the guy <clears throat> that I always <clears throat> considered my mentor, uh, Fred Thomas, uh, who's retired now, but he's the guy who kind of showed me the ropes, showed me home theater. In fact, he was one of the very early adoptees of home theater and was just a master salesman. Um, and in a case, from there, um, You know things got really interesting and i was offered a position long long story short offered a position in los angeles with kinergetics holdings which at the time was a group of companies in los angeles including kinergetics research who were best known at the time and historically i guess you'd say uh for their cd players their amps and then their home theater gear uh they were part of a broader group that included acoustic car audio And at the time, also Kef and Celestian speakers. I I think the idea back then was that they were gonna merge all of those brands. Um, And in a sense, I guess you could say, kindergarten holdings was something of a forerunner to the Nortex and Linears and Milestone AVs and so forth. It never quite came together that way. Um, But nevertheless, that was my entree into the national side of things. And, you know, of course, I always thought someday I'd go back and teach, but it just just never happened, um, in part because of the travel, you know, that this this kind of career tailed and so forth. Um, from there, I did a short stint at Axolo Electric, the cable manufacturer, sure. where I met Brian Rizzo, who will factor in the story later. <laughs> um, and then I went to Dwin Electronics, which was really my first video gig to speak of. And Dwin was a fascinating company because the the gentleman there who was the owner and the chief engineer was so far ahead of everybody in terms of what they were doing. Uh, He was the guy responsible for Harman Video. um, And uh, we had some really great innovative products, um, 7-inch CRTs without fans, uh, that didn't run hot, that didn't drift, that were easy to set up, weighed maybe 50, 60 pounds. Um, completely silent, uh, great stuff, um, and then of course we moved into the DLP era, as the entire channel did. Um, but yeah, in in some ways those those were the uh, some of my favorite times in the channel. You know, the sky was still sort of the limit, and and video was the driving force where, where it just isn't anymore in the sense that it's mostly home control and that type of thing. And, you know, every, every dog has their day, so to speak. Um, And then in 04, uh, Brian Rizzo and I formed um, ICE Cable Systems Um, and the ICE, the name came from Installer's Choice Electronics. Mm -hmm. We started a distribution company on the West side of Los Angeles uh, that's where the acronym came from. And it was really um, a, uh, an attempt or a, the, the basis of the distribution company was uh, to create a platform to launch the wire nationally. And they do very, very well to this day. Uh, I, I was in, um, at this point, in fact, I think uh, I, was, yeah, I was still in Los Angeles and I came back in 2010, back to Michigan, and then joined Elite in very late eleven. So that kind of brings us up to yeah. you know the, the present date in a sense because I've, I've been here now. It'll be uh, it'll be twelve years uh, next month, in fact. Nice. Um, and I came to Elite with, and had a very clear mandate, and that was to create uh, a new brand, uh, a brand of screen specifically for the home theater channel. And it was a, it was an awesome challenge and something that you know, I recognize as kind of a historic opportunity in that we could really do whatever we needed to do. In other words, we could theoretically create the perfect screen line. Um, And and not to say that we would cover every single base and could do all things for all people, not that necessarily, but whatever we did do, uh, we could go point by point, say, okay, whatever we're going to do, we're going to do ultimately with the custom installer in mind right? Uh, We didn't have any legacy issues we had to contend with. Uh, We knew with elite's manufacturing power, we could come in at the low end of the market. So we knew we could be very aggressive price point wise. Um, And we just didn't have any path that we were forced to follow, no compromises that we had to make. Um, And, uh, you know, there were some pretty wide open lanes for us at the time. Uh, in part because, you know, you go back 11 years or 12 years now, and, you know, projectors were a good deal more expensive than they are now. And you didn't have to go too far back from there to where they were very expensive. Um, You know, frankly, the the price of a new car. (laughs) Um, So, you know, our North Star has always been with, with screens is to keep that credible, common sense relationship price-wise between the projectors and the screens. Um, I think any custom installer would tell you that one of the hardest things to do um, and to do on a reliable, repeatable basis is to sell a screen that's more expensive than the projector. Um, And that was first and foremost kind of our our mission to offer uh, what we felt to be reference-grade quality screens at prices that were really truly commiserate with uh, the price of projectors. Um, In other words, if you go back even 20 years ago, um, you know, when when projectors were 20 grand and uh, doublers and quadruplers were 15 to 20,000, you know, a $5,000 matte white screen. Yeah, you know, it's like the price of uh, tires for a Ferrari, you know, nobody (laughs) objected but we're in a much different age now. And we have been for certainly the last 10 years. So we were very cognizant of that, you know, that that price was ultimately going to be uh, a very loud factor in the screen category. Um, the other thing that we were very intent on doing as, as being as simple as possible, you know, make, make simplicity a virtue. Um, in a matter of speaking, we looked at, some of the other brands, and I mean, obviously, these brands have been around for a long time, very successful, very well known, and still are. Uh, but when we asked dealers, you know, what would what would be the sort of thing that would put you off from looking at another or a new screen line, uh, we got back a lot of answers that indicated it was the complexity, right? The eighty-page catalog, the hundred-page price sheet. And you know what do we do here? And what screen do we use there? And, you know, and and I have no doubt that those lineups um, were at one time uh, sensible, um, but we looked at it differently and thought, you know, we're gonna. And I and I typically don't like using this term, but we're gonna curate it, mm. right for for the dealer. And um, you know, we identified what we thought were really the three main uh, three essential screen categories, Uh, matte white, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, ALR, which, you know, in 2012 was new, but it was clear that that was going to be a very important category, and then acoustic transparent. Mm -hmm. And then rather than do the typical, you know, good, better, best reference, you know, limited edition, uh, ultimate, we thought, you know, we're going to make one matte white, it's going to be the very best we can make. We feel that um, if you compare it to anything else out there, regardless of price, it would be credible as good or perhaps even better. Um, and, and that was going to be our matte white screen, mm-hmm. you know, and ditto with the ALR and so forth with the acoustic transparent. And it, it made things really easy because it's very easy to see the EPV line at a glance and based on your room conditions and your size and and your frame choice, I mean, obviously the two major frame choices these days are kind of the old school hand wrapped velvet, mm-hmm. and then the edge free uh, or thin line or you know thin bezel. Uh, we call it uh, our our terminology for that is efinity, just kind of a play on infinity pools and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, its also EF and our product line means edge free. Okay, Um, so so somebody can look uh, at our at our lineup and say, okay, uh, I need acoustic transparent screen, uh, 135 uh, inches diagonally, and I want an edge free screen Mm -hmm. uh, or edge free frame. And there you go. There's one model to choose in that sense. And um, one other thing we did, and this was very important to us from the very beginning. Um, although it took us a little while to get there, uh, we were big believers in the ISF proposition, you know, the Imaging and Science Foundation. Um, And uh, we were determined that at some point, all of our screens would be ISF certified. And uh, we can say, and we could have said this for the last uh, maybe four years now, that all of our screens are fully ISF certified. So in that regard, we're not really asking anybody to take our word, you know, for the video quality of our screens, um, you know, that to me is a real effective shorthand that anything that's ISF, um, you know, anything in the, in the video category, um, you know, it's going to be a top flight performer.
0: Yeah. That's a legitimate badge of, um, of accomplishment there. What, what does it take from a screen manufacturer's, um, sort of perspective, I think of it on the video no. side, but then, you know, the screen is an essential ingredient. So what does it take for that qualification to happen?
1: Yes. Uh, for the most part, um, the, the two uh, categories that are paramount are uh, contrast and color. And there's various contrast and color tests that they do to to make sure. And also artifact. Mm. Like, for instance, on an ALR screen, some some of them out there, are known to hotspot or sparkle. and It's my understanding that if a piece went in for testing, and there was visible sparkle, that it wouldn't even make it to the next phase of testing, Mm. it would be rejected outright. Um, One story that that I remember, and I hope I have this exactly right, uh, even if the details aren't exact, the spirits right, we sent in um, some of our early samples of our Dark Star which was a very, very high quality, um, ALR. It was difficult to manufacture. The yields were low. It was quite expensive, especially for us, but it was great. It got great reviews. Uh, it was a cover story review. I want to say in the October 15 issue of home theater. Um, and they called it at the time, the best ALR they'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. We sent in some samples and, um, we were told that, what do you want, the good news or bad news? What's the, what's the bad news? It didn't pass. Like, okay. Uh, the good news, though, is that it was off on a particular color test, 0.003. So just, and, and it wasn't visible, but the standards are the standards. Mm-hmm. And that's another great thing about ISF yeah. is, you know, said. but what they would do, because it was so close, they would, uh, if you sent different production samples, um, that they would retest, you know, right? and, and if the average, uh, came out uh, ahead that, that it would pass, uh, weeks went by and I remember asking our, our product uh, guy, uh, Jaime, um, Hey, have we heard from ISF? He said, yeah, we have. Um, and it was another one of these good news, bad news things. that w- what's the bad news? It didn't pass, right? The good news though, is that every single batch, right? Every single production sample was off by the same amount. He said, just, it's very rare that you see that kind of consistency in manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a point of pride with us too. Now it was an unusual piece also because it was a 1.4 gain, right? And that what was, you know, keeping it ultimately from being certified, uh, at least as I remember it, and somebody might correct me, but, um, and uh, we, we stopped making that some years ago, but continued on with our, our Dark Star Ultra short throws um, and our Polar Star, uh, which is our, our more common ALR. Uh, it's, it's an angular reflective. The Dark Star was a retro reflective, which refers to, you know, the light path as it hits the screen and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, so, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's sort of what ISF looks for. And, um, you know, I, I can think of no other licensing organization. I, it was, it's been so long since I've worked with THX, hmm. I mean, literally, literally 25 or six to 27 years ago that I, I don't remember their procedure, but, um, but ISF is, is ACEs in our book in that regard. So.
0: Today's episode of Residential Tech Talks is brought to you by NICE, the global manufacturer of smart home security and building automation solutions. NICE is bringing together 30 years of innovation with award-winning products from Elan, Speakercraft and Panamax to create a holistic ecosystem for builders, integrators and consumers. Learn more about how you can create one home with one solution at go.nice.org you.com backslash RTT. Well, you mentioned uh, ultra short throw, that seems to be the um, the most ongoing recent trend in projection that really is influencing not only projectors, but screens. And that area of having to consider the angle of the projection image yes. uh, is, is what's challenging for a screen, right? So you have to have the formulation to where it absorbs the Material, the the reflective, uh, you know, rejection onto the screen the yes. right direction, whether that's above or below. And I, I saw examples um, you know, applications at Cedia of an Epson short throw in a ceiling mount, which I had, I don't know why I hadn't seen that before, but it's like, what yeah. a great idea. That's a, another way to do it besides having it on, on the floor uh, aiming up.
1: Yeah. Well, part of the problem and sort of the inherent physical problem with doing a ceiling mount or an above mount um, is that you're now directly competing with the overhead ambient light. Uh, And when you think about it, for the most part, ambient light is always gonna be above, right? In the form of, you know, a room light, um, skylight. I mean, obviously there's windows as well. Um, So it really limits what you can do. In fact, I often tell dealers who are looking to do that is that you're going to have to keep the area around the screen so dark so as not to do that um that you know you might as well control the light you know completely and then to just use a good matte white screen right. um yeah. in, in fact that's the one thing about ultra short throw screens that are that are really interesting i was going to a distributor this is pre covid so i don't recall if it was 19 or 18. Uh, but I was running, I was a little late from the airport, and they were doing a, uh, a show um, with a very expensive ultra short throw uh, projector. Uh, 50000 it was, so that, that may tip some people off as to what it was. Um, but uh, as I'm driving there, they called me and I said, we, we think you guys sent us the wrong screen. I'm like, what do you mean? because it's, it's white. Like, huh. Like, huh. I can't imagine they sent the wrong screen, but I got there and instantly saw that it was upside down.
0: Hmm.
1: So, so it was reflecting all the light from the ceiling. So it was it was as white as a matte white screen. Oh, wow! Orient it correctly, and it's
0: charcoal black. Interesting. Right. Okay.
1: That's that's the difference. Yeah. So that's what you had to be careful of. You know, when you plan to do that, um, because it will it will absorb all that overhead light as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other limitation as great as ultra short throw is and it's definitely been a boon to the to the channel um is that you're presently limited we we have the largest fixed frame um ultra short throw at 123 Mm -hmm. inches um everybody else is about 120 um and it's only been in the last couple years that there have been projectors that have been able to go bigger you know ultra short throw projectors Uh, I know Samsung has one that uh, does one hundred and thirty, but the machines that make the ultra short throw screen material are are limited to 60 inches, a a roll of 60 inches. Mm. And you would think on the one hand, well, wouldn't it be relatively easy to just extend that? It it turns out that it's not. It's actually really, really complicated and really, really expensive. Um, and I know we're working on it. I, I don't know where we are with it, but uh, I don't believe there's anything forthcoming in terms of because if we did, if we could make a 130 or a 135 or a 150, um, we would have done it by now. But yeah, there's there's some real just locked in physical challenges to doing that.
0: Yeah. And, and so um, are you really seeing that uh, a lot of where your sales are coming from are u- ultra short throw applications these days? Are you still getting quite no. a bit of two piece uh, traditional,
1: traditional? Oh, yes. It, it's still mostly two piece. Okay. You know, there is a sense uh, also in the channel and um, to be to be just brutally honest that um, there the, the, the uh, ultra short throw market is just a little bit crossing the line to diy mm.
0: okay sure. Right?
1: and and so you know a lot of consumers think oh you know i can just do this myself well it's not an easy thing to do uh, either to you know do the correct alignment mm-hmm. keep it aligned and do that install um but you know more of them are prone to attempt that. Yeah. Right. So I think that's sort of been a limiting factor in the CI channel.
0: Um, just like, just embracing yeah, it. Right. Like, uh, exactly,
1: yeah. exactly. And, um, you know, the other thing is that for, um, for several manufacturers, and, and this has been the case really since the beginning, um, the projectors are actually, uh more than or i'm sorry less and in some cases a good deal less than the screens Mm -hmm. you know at retail and that's a very that's a very hard thing to sell you know um but as it as as it turns out um these you know ultra short throw alrs are very expensive to manufacture but i think you know most customers and most end users can understand uh, that a box, you know, a, pro- a projector, um, could be 3,500 or 5,000 or 6,000, whatever the price is, but they see that screen and, and in their mind, it's a piece of material. They know, why is that 5,000? Yeah. I don't get it, you know? So, um, and it's been a challenge, you know, in the, in the industry generally. Um, but, uh. But no, and and you know we definitely have the most competitive uh, uh, piece out there. You know with our Dark Star Two Ultra Short Throw, but you know I think that um, it still has room to grow. It will grow, but it, I don't think it's going to be uh, a revolution. Yeah, especially because you got that size limitation. And, and a good way to consider it is that. Just before COVID, uh, literally January 20, I did a uh, kind of an internal survey of all our screens and sizes. I was doing some forecasting or something. And I noted that at that time, in fixed frames, the 120 size uh, outsold every other size combined for us, Hmm. literally every other size. And at some point, I think it was probably last year around this time, I noted. That not only was that no longer true, but that 135s now outsell 120s, Mm. and you know some people think, well, it's because it's because televisions are getting bigger. Now it's not really that, you know, because even like when the when 85 inch panels came out, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, um, people would ask, do you think it's going to hurt screen uh, projector screen sales? Like. No, because when we launched uh, EPV in 2012, we decided we weren't even going to do an 84, you know, or or 92 for that matter. You know, those those were sizes that were dictated by the lumen output of CRT projectors to be to be blunt, okay. you know, and they hung around, I think, just because. Um, but uh, really, what's going on is that on a per lumen per dollar basis, you know, projectors keep coming down and you can fill a 135 Mm. with relative ease and without a lot of money. Um, So I, and I think that's so true that if 20 years ago, if a, if a seven inch CRT was able to put out that kind of light, 135s would have been dominant then, Mm. you know, it's not, it's not just that people keep wanting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like what? What will the projector allow? What will the dollar allow? Right. You know, to to a large extent, um, and that's that's where we get that. Yeah.
0: So one of the featured uh, projectors at CEDIA was the uh, the Sonic AT8, which is an ISF. Um, yes. Projector screen. Um, what was the? Uh, what are some of the features that make that? Um, a successful product for you. or uh, we Yes.
1: So that replaced our, our longtime uh, acoustic transparent A4K. And that was a very critical piece in our history. It was really, if there was one screen that put EPV on the map in the early days, it was the A4K. And while it wasn't the first woven acoustic transparent it was, I think it's fair to say it was the first one that was uh, real-world priced. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another, uh, and, I, and I won't mention the brand, but it was very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. So um, it was at that very first Cedia, which we always count as the birthday of the brand, you know, September 2012, that we first showed that. It won CE Pro's Best CDIA. Uh, it won a few other awards that year. One reviewer called it. It, it was the first um, acoustic transparent screen that completely eliminated more a, you know, mm-hmm. the screen door artifact. And, and we knew if we were ever going to replace that, that it would have to be something with something that was really special. Um, so it was probably a year and a half ago now. Uh, Jaime, our product guy, sent me a, a sample of the new material. And I, I honestly thought that he sent me the wrong thing because I thought, this is like a matte white screen. You know, I, I would always tell our, our dealers that, you know, you could stand five or six feet away from an A4K acoustic transparent and think you were looking at a matte white screen. With the new one, the weave is so dense that you, you can literally hold it five or six inches from your face. And it, it appears to be a matte white screen. <laughs> So it's uh, video wise, you give you really give nothing up to the acoustic transparency. And what else is remarkable about it is it measures sonically it measures as well as an acoustic is the 4k. Um, and that's not to say there's there's no uh, coloration. Um, there always is. Uh, but it's so minimal that I think it's fair to compare it to, a really, like a really high-end speaker grill cloth, Okay. you know, in terms of its sonic transparency. Um, the other very cool feature that we were able to do this time around um, was to integrate the black backing. Um, so, you know, which keeps light bleed from coming through or anything from behind it shining. Um, and the black backing is actually denser as well. So it's literally white on front and um, black on the back, you know, one continuous sheet. Mm. Um, and uh, it's also ISF certified. And, and it's my understanding that there's not many, uh, historically, many acoustic transparent screens that get that certification, that get ISF ratings. So, yeah, there were some real significant upgrades, and we were able to kind of blend it in. Um, and release it without any real disruption, you know, in stock level. So we went pretty seamlessly from the A4K to to the new one to the uh, AT8ISF. Um, yeah, very small I think I think the price increase was four percent. So um, and and we redesigned the edge free frame, um, and um, with with our screens too. All the edge free frames come included. With the wraparound six-color LED kit, mm-hmm. uh, which you know originally was designed for overscan. You know, the early days of edge-free screens, you were almost certainly going to get overscan, um, and the LEDs would help blend that out. Um, now, now the blanking is better, um, and yeah, you still might get it, um, but. Most of the projectors I've seen, it's pretty easy to trim out, even with a thin edge screen frame, and um, and not have that overscan. So
0: now you tell me after all these years of just thinking that was kind of a like a, a you know a design feature of a of a room, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're tricking me. Yeah,
1: well, it's it, it it has kind of hung around as as kind of bling in a <laughs> sense, but it, you know, so yeah, it doesn't. It's not as I don't think it's as critical or as essential as it used to right. be, but I, I think you know, in the mind of most uh, end users, that you know, edge free equals wrap around LEDs, mm-hmm. and you know, it's kind of it's a cool look. Um, and like I say, you can always you know you can always turn it off. But I know there are companies out there that are still charging um, a fair premium for those, but we we do include them.
0: Yeah. Well, so, uh, one of the other categories that I had, um, noticed in your, on your website was the, the application of outdoor projection screens. Um, and, and that was yes. something that the outdoor living spaces, whether it's motorized shades entering in the space right. or obviously uh, video in general, but, uh, I I hadn't thought about actually the motorized um, projection screen as well, and so you've got your Twilight Electric series for that.
1: Yes, we 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 re, we did a uh, a tentative run with the Twilight series just before COVID, um, and um, they did they did okay. Uh, our timing wasn't great uh, season wise. But then that hit, we did kind of have to reprioritize a little bit. But then last summer, uh, we reintroduced it and have uh, several offerings now, including one we just released, a- again, given our timing. It was kind of late later in the summer. But nevertheless, uh, a battery-powered outdoor mm. screen. Um, and it's definitely a growing category. And in, in all of our screens are IP33 rated, um, which means all critical electronics are are basically encased, you know, and, um, and uh, rust resistant uh, metals and paints and, um, and so forth and screen material, of course. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're, they're very good. Um, they're very aggressively priced and, and the battery powered material, it's tab tensioned it is also ISF certified. So yeah, we're, we're proud of those. Uh we'll, you know, going into 24, we're going to do a much bigger push and we'll continue to sort of build out the line. Um, You know, we just, we decided to kind of take it a little bit piece by piece. So I think at this point, including all sizes, we have maybe, maybe 10 or 12 models, but we're going to expand that significantly um, into the, into the coming years.
0: And just in terms of the corporate um, parent company, Elite Screens and how you fit into the, um, you know, competition and the competitive environment. So you've got, um, a lot of brands that, that people are familiar with, um, based around the country. Elite is based in California, right? Um, so it's kind of ironic that you left California, right? When you started with the company, um, you can, you can picture where everyone is from a distance, but, uh, you, you operate remotely. So, um, where how is the uh, manufacturing handled? You've got engineering and manufacturing. how is that all set up yes. for you domestically versus overseas and that sort of thing?
1: Right. So um early on, uh you know, we knew EPV was going to be completely autonomous in terms of product design and product manufacture from Elite. And and they're you know, the much bigger company. Um I I'll often talk about it to dealers, in in the regard of we're we're kind of like to, to use the inevitable car metaphor, we're sort of like the Lexus to their Toyota, okay. you know, um, although it's not as though we're a lot more money necessarily, um, we are you know it's a step up it's a premium brand, um, we don't share any anything so to speak, you know all the EPV materials are proprietary. Um, and you know, designed only for EPV, and for the most part, we're built in completely separate factories mm-hmm. and in completely different countries, um, and that's it, in some to some degree, it's just the way that worked out, right? Um, but uh, it's great because it gives us the autonomy to do what we need to do, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, obviously, there are whole categories of screens. That elite does that we just don't do, um, and uh, it's not—it's not that they don't have some bearing, you know, in the CI channel. But it's just like we—we we knew very early on we we couldn't do everything, and we weren't going to try, you know. We, our, um, the number in our head was always ninety-eight percent. You know, we wanted to be able to do ninety-eight percent of what any custom installer was was doing. Within reason, you know, so uh, like for instance, we often get calls um, from dealers for manual screens. It's like, well, we just don't do it. But it it wouldn't make sense. We looked at it, we didn't feel there was a lot we could do, you know, in in what was a really competitive category of screen um, to a either stand out or to add real value, you know. Um, So we thought, well, you know, so kind of wrapped inside of that, all EPV dealers do have access to the elite, you know, catalog of products. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's been kind of a uh, a release valve in sure. a sense for us too. You know, so we don't. I'm like, well, you know, we can take care of that dealer, um, and it might be, you know, once every four years that they need a screen like that. Sure. You know, it's not something that's going to be repeatable and that they're going to do in every job. So that's that's made it easy. It was another benefit of being aligned in the way that we're aligned.
0: And are you, um, for, for CI dealers who aren't working with you, um, is the best route through a direct relationship or are you- Yes. Yeah. Do, do, do yes. The distribution I mean, we, or uh, have, do you have independent <coughs> reps out there? Excuse me. Yes, we do have
1: reps- in some territories and we do have distributors in some territories. Um, in the last few years, there's been, um, some, some real disruptions to the broader distribution landscape, but, but where we have distributors, we support them fully. Um, but yeah, a lot of them, uh, in the last few years were bought up. Um, and, um, you know, product was inserted, so to speak, in ours was not. Mm. <laughs> but you know, that's the breaks that happens. Um, but one thing that's always made us really attractive to as a um, to direct dealers is that uh, everything on the APV price sheet is in stock. Mm. And uh, while it's not unheard of to have back orders, it's getting increasingly rare right uh we reconfigured some things uh especially during covid um and yeah we we can say with with almost you know perfect certainty that if it's on our price sheet um we can ship it right and we typically will ship within 24 48 hours um sometimes it you know sometimes it takes a little longer if it's a the first order for a dealer, you know, there's paperwork that needs to be done and so forth. But we certainly strive to do that. And in lieu of any other hiccup in that way, um, we get get our stuff out pretty fast. And we also have warehouses in uh, the West Coast in in Orange County and in Westminster, Maryland. Mm. So uh, with most of our screens, we're only three days away from just about anywhere. Uh, One other thing we did And we're we're very glad we did it, is when we were talking to dealers very early on, in fact, even before we start shipping product and we're asking them things about what they were looking for in a new line and what did they like about their brand, we we got a lot of things that if I'm going to paraphrase it down to one quote, uh, they would tell me, um, if you can be that screen company that gets product to me undamaged, I'm your guy,
0: you know, yeah.
1: and the the history of this category is that, you know, they're very long, odd shaped boxes. Uh, they're easy for a shipper to pick up on one end and drag across the truck floor or the concrete or whatever, and then just drop. Um, and it, it, historically, they're expensive to ship. So we start thinking about, okay, how could we, how could we get around that? You know, how could we limit that and we came upon the idea of a six piece frame. And we figured, well, if we do a six piece frame, that 12 foot box becomes six, mm-hmm. that means it can ship FedEx or UPS ground. Um, and now uh, the ground zone maps apply, right? So if it's three days from say Maryland to Kansas city, there you go, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it lowers the cost dramatically and really limits the opportunity for damage. So it was a, it was a triple win. And, um, you know, one thing we've seen in the last year and a half in particular is uh, Overland freight rates have really gone up. Mm. Um, and, you know, I ask around, people have this theory and that theory. Um, but you know, unfortunately, it appears that it's here to stay for a while. You know, of course, everybody remembers a couple of years ago, there was that really huge bubble with overseas freight. Um, but that came down. Um, this one looks a little different, though. So we're, you know, ever glad that we made that decision when we did, because it just makes things very easy to to uh, get around logistically. So,
0: Well. Add that to the list of so many things that cost more money these days, right?
1: Right, I know. I know. Yeah, it's almost doubled. Oh my gosh. In, in the last, I would say the last year and a half. And the funny thing is, it didn't, um, I would say through the first, you know, in 2021, 20, and half of 22, I mean, COVID was pretty much over. Mm. Um, and, you know, nothing had really changed. And then since then, wow, you know, so.
0: Well, not to end on a on a bummer of a note, but uh, right, but, right. but but what a yeah. great conversation! But with, that, with that said, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. I, I, I learned so much more about the the brand from you, and it's been great getting to know you better. And thanks so much for your time, oh, Jeff. Thank you. Really, really great talk. Sure, to you. my pleasure. And uh, now I know um, so much more about Bay City as well. So Bay City, you're, yeah. you're now you're, yeah. you're now the the second most famous Bay City uh, native that I have heard of. So, you <laughs> <New> Madonna. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Kleida is vice president of sales for EPV Screens, the division of Elite Screens. You can learn more about the company at EPVScreens.com. And that wraps up today's show, which was produced by Residential Tech Today, IPW, and Pretty Easy Podcasts. Please check out prettyeasypodcast.com dot com if you want professional and affordable production help on your own podcast. And if you're new to Residential Tech Talks, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you watched or listened to this episode. Also check out all the latest residential tech news at our magazine's website, ResTechToday.com, where you can also subscribe to the print or digital magazine and to our Tuesday and Thursday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell. Residential tech to lighting specialists to residential smart home or smart house.
1: This show was produced by Pretty Easy Podcasts and made possible by listeners
0: like you. If you ever thought of doing your own podcast, please visit prettyeasypodcasts.com.